Good morning again. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you again in prayer. You're about to open up your living word to us. We come from busyness and distractions of life. Calm our spirits now. Open our hearts and make them fertile, like fertile soil for your word to settle. Settle upon us so that we would be transformed by it. Come, Holy Spirit, be in this place in a powerful way and in each one of us. And may your word not come back empty to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Jonah. Although Jonah is one of 17 prophets in the Old Testament speaking from God, Jonah is the only one that God sends to a Gentile nation and a barbaric one at that. These people from Nineveh and their treatment of neighboring countries, including the Israelites, was horrific. They were known to skin people alive, cut off arms and legs. They had terrible evil as a part of what they did in war and conquering. The first week in chapter 1, we learn that God calls Jonah to go to these very people of Nineveh to preach against their evil ways. But Jonah took off in the opposite direction. He bought a ticket and boarded a ship to Tarshish. In chapter 2, we learn that Jonah was thrown from that very ship and found himself in the belly of a large fish where he remained for three days and three nights. During that time, amazingly, miraculously, he lived to pray a thanksgiving to God for his salvation. At the same time, however, Jonah was still refusing to go to Nineveh. God had the fish spit him out on dry land. And so today we pick up with Jonah's story with chapter 3, which begins very similarly as chapter 1 in that God speaks to Jonah once again. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Jonah and join me as we walk through these scriptures of chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, there are pew Bibles just in front of you. We have two versions in the, in the um, sanctuary. The first is an NIV version, and you will find Jonah on page 654. 654. And if you pick up an NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, you'll find Jonah on page 810, the beginning of his word. So I'm going to begin with verse 1, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, 
It took three days to go through it. I want to pause here. In verses 1 through 3, we learn that God called out to Jonah a second time, telling him to go to Nineveh to proclaim a message. But God stops short of actually telling Jonah a lot of details about what that actual message will be. He's only asking at this point, Jonah, go, go, and I will give you the message to speak. In other words, God will let him know exactly what he wants him to say once he gets there, which leads to our first teaching point this morning. Obedience does not require all the information. Obedience does not require all the information. In 1996, I started receiving a nudge in my spirit and in other ways from other people from God to be a pastor. I was in corporate America at the time. And the problem was, well, there were several problems for me, but the problem for me initially was I was scared. <laughs> scared to leave a job and a career that was safe. I also had some pride in my heart. There was another reason that I didn't want to go was my age. And I remember praying to God, surely you must be joking. You must have me, Faye, mixed up with another Faye. Surely you don't want a 52-year-old woman going back to school to get an undergraduate degree and then on to seminary. Surely not. So I turned from God. I did busy myself in my church with other ministries, but I had no peace. And actually, over the next three years, God called out to me two more times, pretty significantly the next two. Once down on the coast at John's Island, when I was on top of a lighthouse, actually. Another time in Savannah for a women's retreat there. Finally, I could run no more, my friends. And I said, yes, Lord, I will go where you send me. And so in the year of 2000, January of 2000, I entered Columbia College as a freshman, and I began a journey of completing both an undergraduate degree and my Master's of Divinity to become a United Methodist pastor. The victorious Christian life, said George Morrison, is a series of new beginnings. The victorious Christian life, said George Morrison, is a series of new beginnings. And I, I can look back now and know and be able to share with you, it was definitely a new beginning for me as I embarked upon God's will for my life. Our God is a God of second chances. And for me, it took three times, not two, as with Jonah. And if necessary, God will call out to us a third, a fourth, a fifth, and more. Sometimes it takes more to get our attention. Let's pick up with verse four. 
Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, the city of Nineveh was in present-day Mosul, Iraq. It was, at that time, the capital of Assyria. And the Bible tells us there were 120,000 people living in that large city when Jonah got there. And we're also told it was a three-day walk for Jonah to get the message to the people that God had given him. I've scratched my head over that. It seems a city that large with that many people would take more than three days. But there you are. God can do anything, right? Amen. The other thing I noticed is this message was short. In the Hebrew, it was only five words. I think Pastor Jeff said to you a week or so ago, he would like to have a sermon of only five words. I would too. It wasn't a warm and fuzzy message either. It was proclaiming to the people that within 40 days, their city would be overthrown. It was amazing to me that all the people believed God. And they began a fast. Let's look at the last word in verse 4. In the NIV, it's the word overthrown, which could also mean, in the English translations, demolished, overturned, but guess what? That same word can also mean restored or turned. These different ways of interpretation give us a different way to look at Jonah's message. For example, let me take you back to Genesis, the 19th chapter, both in verse 25 and 29. This same word, demolish, overthrow, was used to convey that God would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But in Deuteronomy, the 23rd chapter, the fifth verse, we see that same word used in another way. There it shows God's change of heart. Restored was the way the word was used there. It's a loaded word. We know now, in the 21st century, of God's amazing love, of his forgiveness, of his grace. He is willing to forgive and give grace to these Ninevites, these people that were barbaric, that did these horrific things. Yet God wanted to give them mercy and grace, too, with that second definition of that same word. And they had 40 days to turn. So as a result of this short sermon, the people could do one of two things, right? They could continue in their evil ways and be demolished, be overthrown in 40 days, or 
they could turn from their evil ways, repent, and God just might change his mind. Notice in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, not just a few, but every single one of them, all 120,000. The scripture says they fasted, which meant they would go without food or water as an inward sign of their sorrow and their mourning. They also gave an outward sign in that they put on sackcloth to wear so that others could see how sorrowful they were for the evil ways that they had lived with. This was evidence of their turning to God and not away. There's a message for us here, too, in this passage. When we go where God asks us and say what he asks us, God will do the rest. And that's what happened with Jonah, isn't it? He went, he said the five words that God asked him to say, and then God did the rest. But how often are you and I hesitant to go and say what God might want us to say to somebody, to either share God's love, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, share God's love, and the reasons are many. We might fear to do that, just plain scared to do it. We might feel inadequate to speak. But the truth is it only requires a willing and surrendered life to God. It doesn't require a Bible degree. It doesn't require a seminary degree. Just a willing heart. And look what God has done through the ages anyway. He has used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Take his 12 ordinary disciples and what he accomplished through them. The Ninevites' hearts were fertile to hear the message, and the message was from God. Jonah was just a mouthpiece. God did the rest. What started as a grassroots movement, one person telling another person who told another person who told another person, went all the way up, my friends, to the king. Word got to the king of Nineveh. Let's pick up with verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented 
and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah's reluctant obedience now has resulted in a decree or a proclamation, if you will, from the very king of Nineveh that everyone, everyone in the kingdom, not just some, and also the animals, would wear sackcloth, would fast, would turn from their evil ways, and in hopes that God would turn and relent and not demolish them. I love this passage because it has a deep message for us here today. When we repent, I think we're inclined to hold back a part of ourselves, areas of our lives that we're not really ready to surrender over to God. That's a partial repentance. We don't allow God to touch every part of our being to transform us completely. But this was not the case from the king. He doesn't leave a stone unturned. From the least to the greatest, including all the animals, there's no room for continued evil in Nineveh. If we're truly going to be a people who will extend God's grace and mercy and forgiveness to all, then we need to remember when we're doing God's will, expect the unexpected. When we're doing God's will, expect the unexpected. In Tokyo, Japan, in 1900, Colonel Henry Bullard and a group of 50 Salvation Army officers traveled to campaign against a system of licensed prostitution. This human trafficking and sex slavery trapped women and it denied them their freedom. Though this practice was already illegal in Japan, the brothels were skirting the system, if you will, and what they did is they offered the girls and their families alone to gain their freedom. And they said, you know, you can work this off, work the loan off, and we will free you. But in actuality, that never really happened. So the group of 50 Salvation Army officers decided to march around the largest brothel in Tokyo. As they went, they were singing and beating a drum and carrying a flag, and they were beat up. Their drum was destroyed, and their flag was torn to pieces. They marched again. The same thing happened, but something different happened this time, too. The press and the news media was there. They took pictures and they wrote articles. And this information made it all the way to the top, to the emperor. And when the emperor got the news, it caused him to release an imperial edict or proclamation. And here's what it said. He declared that any woman who wanted to leave the brothels and to go to the police station could go free within one year's time 12,000 women walked out to freedom the will of God will never lead you 
where the grace of God will not protect you. These officers from the Salvation Army were in God's will and they were doing what he asked them to do. I'm confident that just like Jonah, these officers had no idea, no idea to expect God to move in such a mighty and miraculous way. But God did, and God still does. We're called to be a people who can expect that our act of obedience to reach across, whether it's a racial divide, a theological disagreement, or offer forgiveness when we think it's not really deserved or we're not obliged to, if we're willing to confess our own sinfulness, God will offer grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he'll do things that we could never even imagine. There's a reason for this unexpected response from the Ninevite people and the king himself. God was and is eager for all of us, for them, for us today, to relent and repent. The Ninevite king says in verse 9, who knows, maybe God will relent and change his mind. This word relent in the Hebrew is the same word used for repent. So it has a double meaning as well, which means somebody's changing their mind. The king of Nineveh believed that if the people changed their mind, then maybe, just maybe, God would change his mind. And that's what happened. Verse 10 says that God saw how they turned from their evil ways and God relented, there's that word, and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Years later, 2 Peter has a scripture that I absolutely love because it speaks to how our God is. Let me read it for us. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance and faith in Christ are the basic conditions of salvation, and that's what people need to hear. And what an amazing revival from the Ninevites. 120,000 people turned from their evil ways, including the king. Some of you might say to me today, Pastor Faye, who am I to go and speak to anyone about God, about Jesus' love, about Jesus' saving grace, about how Jesus has been with me in my life. I just don't know how to do it. It's easy enough if you're willing and let God do the rest. I often say that when God gives me a nudge about something that he wants me to say or do, I call it a God wink. Some of you have heard me use that term. Well, yesterday, I got a God wink and permission from somebody to share 
an experience with you this morning. I went to get my hair done, and I've been going to this lady, Mia, for quite a while, and I was sharing with Mia just a bit about the message that I was going to deliver this morning and talking about God doing amazing things, things that are just not expected. She said, Pastor Faye, I have an experience to share with you that happened a few years ago. I said, share it with me. Here goes. God placed on Mia's heart a few years back to go and see an acquaintance of hers. It wasn't a really good friend, but it was someone she knew, and she hadn't seen her in a while, and God was just giving her that nudge. Have you ever gotten a nudge? I have. To call somebody, maybe just go see somebody. Well, that was the kind of feeling that she got. I just need to go see this lady. And the nudge included taking a little tiny New Testament. And she had some. She had some that had been translated into Korean, which she's South Korean, and this lady was South Korean. She knew the lady was not a Christian, so she had to have the courage to go there first and give her the New Testament. So she went, and when she got to the lady's house and the lady invited her in, she just said and asked an open-ended, what I call an open-ended question, how are you? And the tears began to fall. And the lady began to share all the things that had been going wrong in her life, in her family, including her husband who had lost his job and they were in financial straits and she just felt like there was nowhere to turn. And so my friend Mia looked at her and said, God loves you. That's it. God loves you. And then she held out the New Testament that was in Korean. And the lady took it. See, her heart had been softened enough that she would take God's word. And so Mia left. Sometime later, the lady comes to see Mia one day, and she says, I need to talk to you. On that day that you came to see me, I already had plans to end my life by suicide that very night. And two things you did. You told me that God loved me. And you gave me God's word in a language I could understand. And I began to read it, and I began to believe it. And me, I want you to know I am now a missionary. Amen. I am spreading God's word where I can. Mia told me yesterday, I love what you're saying, Faye, because... God can do some amazing things if we're willing to go. And I was scared, but I went and look, he did something I would never expect he would do. And I in my own life have experienced the same thing, my friends. There's no way I would have known 
in January of 2000 that God would allow me to be here, here at this beautiful church, in this beautiful ministry of congregational care for 10 years. It's been 10 years that he's allowed me to be here. I get emotional thinking about it. There are over 100 volunteers that make congregational care possible here. And all these people are going out, <laughs> saying yes to the Lord, touching, reaching, calling, coming alongside. It's beautiful. It's surrender. It's being willing to do it. And this is how Jesus wants to work through you and me. He has a plan for each and every one of you to share God's love in a very, very broken world. And if we do it, we may not see the results Mia saw with her friend that became a missionary, but that's okay. We are doing what God asked us to do, and then he will do the rest. There are many who are lost, and Jesus himself said, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. Will you go where he wants to send you? I want to quote Jesus now in Luke 11, verse 32. Jesus said, on judgment day, the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence that will condemn this generation. Jesus is talking about the generation he's speaking to, the Jewish people that did not want to spread the word beyond themselves. Because when Jonah preached to them, they changed their lives because God got involved. If Jesus said this, which he did, I believe it. And that's enough for me. Is that enough for you? Jesus is calling us as followers to go beyond these walls, beyond these walls of Mount Horeb, and share God's message of forgiveness, grace, and redemption, to share our own story about how God has been with us in a very difficult time, how we've had God winks, God nudges, I love the way Jesus says it in Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus says, go into the world, go everywhere, and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. He doesn't say just go to the people that you know and you're comfortable talking to and talk about the gospel. He says, go everywhere and do it and say it to one and to all. You know, a prophet stands in the gap, the gap between God and the people. Where do you find yourself in this story this morning, I would ask? Jonah was a reluctant prophet, a prophet that did obey God and went to the Ninevites, although he didn't really believe that they should receive repentance. Are you more like Jonah, or would you like to be more like Jesus with a compassionate love who went to a cross to save not just some people, 
but all people for all time that would believe in him. This message today is a strong message. It's a message of repentance, a message and a charge to each of us to go and to tell everyone, everywhere, of God's forgiveness, of God's love, of God's mercy, even when we don't deserve it. The Ninevites didn't deserve it, but God gave it to them, and he gives it to you and to me if we'll receive it as a gift. I'm going to ask Melody to come forward now and sing and lead us in singing just as I am, and the altar's going to be open. Maybe you want to come and just thank God right here at the altar for everything he's done for you. Nothing wrong with that. Or maybe there's something on your heart for someone you know or something you need to let go of. Or maybe you're just going to sit in your pew and pray there. God will meet you either way, but he's calling all of us. Will you come? Will you say yes? And then will you go and serve him? Let's sing. Let's sing.